Know anything about rare books? You could try me. Would you happen to have a Ben-Hur 1863rd edition with a duplicated line on page 116? Or a Chevalier Audubon 1840? Nobody would. There isn't one. The girl in Geiger's bookstore didn't know that. Oh, I... I see. You begin to interest me. Vaguely. You are listening to Filthy Armenian Adventures. I love the smell of books. The way the new ones smell like clean hotel rooms. The way the old ones smell like old. The way pages catch so much light, they're almost too bright to look at. Always love the smell, the feel, the look of books. Before I could ever understand what was inside. Romantic objects, monuments of breath. And I don't mean breath with a D. I mean breath as in <sighs> Exhales of a mind. And if there's one thing I like to deal with, it's a mind. A mind is almost as precious as a body. There is much to be said of a mindless whole, but every once in a while, a mind really does just hit the spot. When outside is hell, humid, with chaos, and you're out of breath, stuck in a traffic of lies, all roads clogged by cowardly clowns, and yet you haven't laughed a real laugh for months, you just might trade your kingdom for contact with one serious mind. And sometimes, you really hit the jackpot, you find a body that contains a mind in it, but that's rare. Mostly, if you want to find a mind, you need to read a book. Mostly, if you want mind action, you need to read a book. My favorite place to buy books is Counterpoint Records and Books. The lighthouse on the block known as Franklin Village, facing the glamorous old hotel that is known as the Scientology Celebrity Center. Two blocks from my late grandmother's apartment. Counterpoint has been around for 45 years. I've been going to it for 25 years. It's a second-hand bookstore, which makes it far more glamorous than the independent new bookstores that operate today, which are mostly anti-bookstores. Hard to tell apart from Halloween pop-ups. Her window displays of goblin texts and Antifa manuals and BLM posters and manifestos on black girl hair. Unreadable trash for people who don't read. For people who hate when you think. Lots of energy at those stores devoted to the promotion of masking to this day. The first time I went to Counterpoint as a kid, I was looking for a novel by Agatha Christie. And if I go to a new bookstore to buy that same novel today, I'll only be able to find 
a censored version. Once a sacred place, the modern indie bookstore has become a monument to half-literacy, fake culture, self-righteousness. And fuck your staff, Rex. Counterpoint, however, is a second-hand bookstore. In the last three years, there are only three public places where I've witnessed culture of any kind to occur. The Cigar Lounge, the Dark Room, and the second-hand bookstore. That second-hand comes in handy. My copy of Oscar Wilde's De Profundis, purchased for $2 from Counterpoint, some dozen years ago, contains the following inscription. To Jeff, to our journey and odyssey of discovery, may we shine like never before. May the pain and longing we feel flow from us like pent-up tears that are finally let free. And may we know each other in our sixties, two old Montclairs, sitting in the back of the Castro Theater. Love, Michael. P.S. There you go. And please note, I'll be taking my one-hour lunch break, and the cafe cart will be closed at that time. Two dollars. One hopes it wasn't Jeff who sold this gift. One hopes it was his niece or someone else who found it lying beside his no longer beating heart and dumped it for a nickel or a dime with all the unsentimentality for which the fairer sex is revered. I've picked up all kinds of interesting books at Counterpoint. Fountainhead, first edition, several radical chic first editions, a little band book by Jean Cocteau called The White Paper, books of Soviet Union tattoos. I pass by the place almost every day, go inside, and it's rare that I emerge without a book or five. But when I say it's a place where culture occurs, I don't mean so much the books themselves, which are created elsewhere. I mean the weird regime of kismet that functions in a secondhand store. They keep track of no inventory, Books just appear and disappear, and are replaced on the shelves according to the hunches and instincts of Dave, the co-owner. And I don't go to the store with specific intentions usually. I just sort of scan the new arrivals, browse around, or I decide to go uh, check out the titles that start with a certain letter, waiting for something to catch my eye. And very often something does catch my eye. My memory is unlocked. Or a strange synchronicity is announced, such as finding Real Marcus's Invisible Republic mere days after we decided to make that the title of our movie. And sometimes I find myself giving a mind I once dismissed a second chance due to some wink or hint in the title or a cover 
that I just randomly find. And I love to wonder where these books come from. It's heartening to know when you find an interesting book that somebody in your neighborhood once possessed. That you're not living in lobotomy land. That there are humans around. Some very interesting people, it turns out, were once regulars at CounterPoint. So today, I went into the shop and I went behind the scenes, where I've never been, to talk with owner Dave about the business of secondhand books and the state of Los Angeles and how this cherished lighthouse on the most enchanting stretch of Franklin Avenue has kept the lights on so long. We are at Franklin Village, the Church of Scientology Celebrity Center over here on the corner. I'm crossing the street to Counterpoint Records and Books on 5911 Franklin Avenue. It's a Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon and the sun shines golden. One of my favorite streets in Los Angeles, probably my favorite street, Franklin Avenue. Gelson's is tanning. La Poubelle hasn't opened yet, so there are fewer douchebags than usual on the sidewalk. UCB hasn't opened yet, so there are fewer retards than usual on the sidewalk. Oh, it's a great time to be alive on Franklin Avenue. Thank you, sir. Let me pass without running me over. People are in a kind, neighborly, friendly mood today. Oh, we're deep in the summer. And it's gonna be okay. The summer's gonna be okay. It's not that bad. It's hot, but it's not that bad. What's up? Is David here? Yeah. Uh, Oh, okay, so you're gonna come. Should I wait from here? Oh, okay. Right. How's it going, David? Thanks for for having making yeah. the time. What's up? Oh, I made it. All right. Um, so I'm just yeah. How's everything been, by the way? How's the how's the uh, business going right now as we Pretty, as we stand? Good. Yeah. Um, you know, we're kind of back to normal-ish More. levels. Do you put some water or anything? Um, or? I'm good for now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> I'll be back in front. Uh, this is the rare book section. This has a different. You're talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking oh. to you. I'm just talking to. Well, I'm talking to the ether. To the ether. Oh, you've got extra stuff back here. You haven't been here? I've not been to the back. Oh, I thought you had. No, this, this is my first time. Okay, great. This is oh cool. Is this where your book clubs are? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
This is a um, this is a lovely room. I mean, it's like yeah, it's, exactly. I mean, it's right now it's in sort of bad state, but it, it, I mean, I, I mean, I do art shows like salons back here. Oh, nice. So like, this is an artist that I know from Texas. This stuff right here, and then I usually I have a video screen. I oh, usually show I usually show an art a piece of art and a video. Oh, perfect for like the day. I'm gonna turn on the air. Yes, you please. Just so it just and then when you're we're ready to start. Yeah, I mean, I so like this is kind of like my stuff, like weird, weird your private collection stuff, gay shit. Um, and then, but I kind of built an office upstairs, mm -hmm. so I kind of moved most of my stuff out. So this stuff, I mean, like originally, we can talk about this in yeah. the pod. What's the what's the what's the most fucked up gay thing in this <laughs> shelf? I mean, I'm curious. Because <laughs> um, I'm not a good, I you know, know I, I'm pretty ignorant about fucked up uh, like underground okay, well, gay it's literature. Not, it's not just gay stuff. I mean, like, you know, well, that's that's sort of like, you know, Judy Garland's like a oh. talisman, you know, right. of uh, gay culture. So that's a sign one that I found. Ooh, uh, yeah. nice. So that was sort of like a big thing back here. Um, I mean, there's... I was just at her shrine in uh, Hollywood Forever. Yeah. There's some really fucked up shit, like... Erotic innocence. The culture of... <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. James A. King, R. Kincaid. About, or like, you know... Lust, Men, and Meth, A Gay Man's Guide to Sex and Recovery. Okay. So, yeah, we yeah, had, I get it. you know, I sort of was collecting this stuff. I Basically, I was going to, I mean, I still will probably do it in some capacity. I was going to call this back room Sex Libris, and it was going to be all sort of scholarly. Mm -hmm. stuff scholarly stuff about. Relates to right. sexuality in some. Sexuality capacity. and the devil. Yeah. Wait, is that That's an Armenian? By Tajirian? Hold on, i got to check that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Let me see. Edward Tajirian, I'm afraid to say, must be Armenian. <laughs> Let me see the fucking... So yeah, my idea... You're, are you recording? I am recording, okay, yeah, awesome. no mind, yeah. I love it. Um, Edward yeah, my idea J. back Tajirian. here was... Yeah. Uh, here's another one, one of my favorites. Stalkers and Their Victims yeah. by Paul E. Mullen. <laughs> So yeah, my sort of plan for back here was to create like a almost like a research room, mm -hmm. and I was gonna call it Sex Libris. Sex, I designed yeah. a logo for it, as in the Ex Libris, you know, sort of right. um, uh, pun on that. Uh, play on words, and my idea for it then was to I wanted people to come and do some research, and then collaborate on a print and. Um, do like a, a group of prints with artists mm -hmm. slash you know people who are kind of like in the in the in the realm of yeah. right. So I next door I in the realm of sexual in scholarship. The, in the realm of sexual scholarship, which yeah. is definitely my personal interest. Yeah, um, it's sort of the work that I kind of make in my own creative life. Um, is things sort of related to that, and then um, I built out a silkscreen studio uh, next door. It's just been covered with stuff. Oh, nice. So eventually, my goal is to kind of get it back into order by the fall. Now, what's your role in it? Do you, I, you, do you kind of take over this shop from the owners? Is yeah, that what happened? Owner. You're yeah. the owner now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's yours. And when did that happen? There's another owner, too. Mm -hmm. um, so the two of us share. Two of us share. There was three, and he died last year. And, it, and this opened in what, the 70s? This opened in 79. 79. Yeah. It's the so only place on this block. 44 years. Yeah. Well, no, La Poubelle also has been around forever, but mm -hmm. La Poubelle's uh, the same time. Same time. Yeah. Yeah. Forty-four years. Yeah. Everything else has come and gone, but the used bookshop. I mean, remains. the the things that have stuck around the longest. There was uh, Bourgeois Pig. Yeah, that stuck around until around twenty 
five years, like or thirty, almost thirty years. Really, that, that was that long. Yeah, I didn't um, notice it until. I mean, I've been here twenty six. Twenty six yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm well. You know, I have always loved used bookstores more than any other. I mean, I like new bookstores too, but used bookstore has always been more. You know, I, I was always able to just buy a bunch of stuff at, at any age. Yeah. Um, and. I like it more than libraries because I like owning. I don't like borrowing. Sure. Um, and so it's always been a kind of magical place for me. Also, you end up just random, randomly encountering books that you aren't even looking for, which is something that's hard to do at a new bookstore. Um, so I've always like been drawn to this place. I think your business model in the last few years has depended mainly on me <laughs> because I like, bought thousands of dollars of books from here. Because every time I walk, every time, ever since I moved into the neighborhood again, I've been walking past, and every time I walk past, I step in. Every time I step in, I see something that I simply must have. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of say to people that, you know, I feel like every day I see something that I'm interested in, and after 26 years, I think that says a lot. Like, I still get very excited about something that'll come through. Generally, it's somebody selling something. Yeah. Or a box that I open that I haven't, like, looked at in 10 years, you know, because we have so much storage in the back. Right. With back stock, basically, of stuff waiting to go out, which has been one of the strongest parts of the the business is that the difference between how the, the owners, the, the other owners would buy versus how I would buy, they would just buy everything. They would buy everything. Everything. Mm-hmm. So anything that came through, they would buy. And, you know, I'm a much more discerning, curating sort of person. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very, I'm very particular about what I buy. But the combination of being able to be particular about new things coming in, combination with 20 years previous to me of just nonstop buying and stuff that just there wasn't enough room for it, so it just got boxed up. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm always unboxing things that haven't been unboxed for 30 years. Oh, okay. So there's just a huge bunch of inventory. There's a giant amount of inventory that, that is off-site. There's a giant amount of inventory in the other back room. And that stuff I filter in based on based on what I feel like is missing. You know, mm-hmm. It's very specific. It's generally older stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, like half of it's incredible. Half of it's like needs to go back in boxes and probably wait another 30 years. Right. But half of it is incredible, and you know, it's they, they. What's interesting, I think, is they did this without any sort of foresight. They just bought everything. What was and the What was the? I'm curious on many different levels. I have a lot of questions. Um, but when they just buy, because it seems to me like there's no, you don't have, know what you have. I mean, people just, uh, there's no like, uh, there com- there's a there's computer, no inventory. System. There's no inventory system. No. So you don't technically know what you have except what you have in your memory. Yeah. So how does the business work that way? It was just sort of by instinct? Yeah, it's all by instinct. Interesting. And watching what people buy. You have to like sort of instinctually kind of know what your customers are interested in. There's a lot of stuff that comes through that, you know, in sales or estate sales that I'm like, it looks kind of interesting, but our, our customers aren't going to buy it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it's amazing how like you can almost sell anything too. There's a little bit of that. But a year, it really is the combination of like, watching what people buy when they walk out the door. And, you know, right. It's, it is it is much more um, honed than you would think. I mean, it's a pretty, it's eclectic, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's very, it's, it's very specific. It's very bohemian. I mean, in an old school sense, I mean, too. Do you have certain, 
um, strategic kind of barometers for what's like a good uh, what's working I mean obviously you, you know how much you've sold mm -hmm. and I guess you have a general sense because you buy you know the good thing about the, this this industry it seems to me is you buy books for nothing almost mm -hmm. and then you sell them for a huge profit yeah. relatively speaking yeah. Depends. Uh, yeah, books are pretty worthless book. unless they're yeah. like yeah. super rare yeah so so you have like so I guess you can probably make that I can see how like well if you hit this number in this month you you know you've made uh, basically so much for, uh, in, in profit from it and that's just sort of if you hit a satisfactory number then you're happy is mm -hmm. that kind of how it works kind of I mean I feel like you're you know we're, we're we never say no to buying a lot of other people just don't and mm -hmm. so you know basically I mean without giving away the you know the secrets it's it's about you know if you, you figure about 20% of what you're you purchase something for is you know that's about what you're paying for mm -hmm. it right everything else is overhead you know right factors into um yeah so it is there's we're not buying as much as we used to you know like people would before the pandemic i feel like we were we were just all doing a lot more in-store buying and mm -hmm. also a lot more out-store buying it's kind of coming back but we're really lucky that we have this giant backlog of or backs of stock mm -hmm. from the last Forty years, basically, that I can I can go through and bring in. It's like you know, it's basically like for me, it's like shopping because I've never seen these books. And right. It's like you know, I I can go and pick through them and determine what I want to bring in. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about well, related specifically, okay. yeah, to the to the pandemic yeah. first. Um, I'm curious about like because you know when you go to an, an independent bookstore such as Skylight, mm -hmm. the one in this neighborhood. Half of the store is absolute garbage. Like, absolute, and everything in the window. It's absolute, like, books about black girls' hair and politic, like, the most Baseball lame, yeah. the most lame-brain political bullshit that's being, like, churned out right now to an audience of I can't even imagine whom. It seems like people buy this stuff just to display it somewhere mm -hmm. and show show off that they're woke or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like half the store. Yeah. Now when you go into the, you know, into the depths you can find you can still find books, but it's so demoralizing to walk into a bookstore mm -hmm. and see like half of it be just like basically uh, you know, a tweets between pages mm -hmm. like of the worst kind. Um, and so I'm assuming that there is, I'm assuming that this is in at least some degree a response to the market demands of this neighborhood, with its with the kind of people who shop for books here. I mean, I'm assuming that there's a little bit of connection there, but here, it's a very different vibe, and this yeah. is the same neighborhood, which is why I'm curious. Like, I'm curious. There's a huge difference in the kind of books you have between. I mean, I, you have some of those books. Yeah. You have some of the, obviously, the fashionable books here, but mostly, you don't. Yeah which is why I buy books from here. Um, and so I'm just like, I'm curious if you have, if you've detected a demand of that nature, of that like supremely current thing, political thing, nature that seems to dominate indie bookstores, or if that's kind of all fake and people just are looking for interesting books if you leave them alone. What's, what's your sense on this? <laughs> um, well, we're not that bookstore. Right. You know, that's like your neighborhood small little corner bookshop that's like stocking the new hot titles yeah. of like whatever 
geopolitical trend we're kind of experiencing in the moment. Right. We've never we've never been that. We're a very we're like it's it's you know mostly driven I think by kitsch mm-hmm. and like camp in some ways because the you know it's it's what we we're we're not actively you know getting a distributor to, to put those books into our into circulation here. It's like we're, we rely on what people are selling us and generally that's going to be older texts. You know, it's like for the most part of the stuff that's coming through here is either someone who's cleaning out their, you know, old stuff and, you know, or their garage or their mom died or, yeah. you know, it's like we're just lucky, I think, that we live in Los Angeles where people are slightly more interesting than other places and we just... It's shocking to me the amount of good stuff we get, like just high quality uh, intellectual texts. Uh, we get a lot of theory, we get a lot of poetry, mm-hmm. um, but we're not, act, you know, we're not a new store, so we're not. I don't really feel like we have any um, responsibility to like put that pedal out whatever's in, yeah, yeah to pedal out whatever's happening politically. Even though like those stuff does come through and we'll put them in the window or mm-hmm. that we'll put do they the sell shelves. that stuff oh, yeah. that shit they sell yeah, yeah. easily I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah that's the, that's the easiest the easiest stuff to sell. to sell just stick it in the window you know yeah. whatever current that's what you got yeah, political woke scenario is happening you can just you know if it be whatever it is you can yeah. just kind of in black history month i see uh, angela davis's afro in the window and some yeah. books and you see yeah. like yeah i get i know i get that um, and anytime somebody dies, you ha- you tend to you know you put something like in Tony Bennett right now is in the window. Tony Bennett and Sinead O'Connor, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah right. Um, that makes sense, you know. That all makes sense. But it, but the, the, the there it's true that L.A. has a lot of eccentric, I think, collections of books yeah. and people. And I'm one of my concerns is that yeah. like one day that flow is going to stop because it's it hasn't like, stopped. It hasn't stopped here. It has Thank not God. stopped. I mean, that's that is the one shock I've like I've, I was like, when is this going to dry up? Yeah, and I just think that there's a lot of there's a lot of academics here. There's a lot of secret kind of intellectuals. There's a lot of students. And there's a lot of closet intellectuals. A lot of well, sure. I'm yeah, not I mean gonna, closet, I'm not, not, gonna, not in the gay sense, yeah, but in yeah. the closet in the sense that in their norm, in their public life, or in their like industry life, yeah. or whatever career they have, that's kind of L.A. They sort of have to keep quiet. They can't, you know. There's like there's a but but privately they cultivate mm-hmm. they they cultivate their interests. Uh, in, in as wild a manner as they can. That's yeah, kind of I thing. also, I mean, part of it is, that's definitely a, a part of it. Another part of it is, like, you know, I, mean, I came from New York when I got here, and I never had the sense that anybody in L.A. was going to be, like, intelligent. That right. Was, I mean, I moved here in the 90s, and that was just sort of, like... That was the cliché That was the cliché, cliché, that was the cliché York. from yeah. New York. New Yorkers love to... Yeah. New Yorkers love to... to uh, fashion all these cliches about LA yeah. that are far truer of New York. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Completely. I mean, I, but I was shocked to find as many readers in LA that I just, what I wasn't expecting to find such a like serious and, you know, I mean all, uh, anything that I collect, anything that it's, it all comes from here, what comes through the store. Right. And I've been able to hone like an incredible collection. I mean, like I collect, mostly like queer theory kind mm-hmm. of related things tangentially right um, and I've been able to amass a library a personal library of, you know of, of items that are you know I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even know how to go out and find them but right. they've just come to me and I've been lucky enough to assemble it and be able to like you know uh, share it with a lot of uh, scholars and friends that I have in that world um, but I mean, I think another big thing that, about L.A. that's different from other places is, like, 
not so much anymore, but we used to have a lot more space than everybody. Uh, bigger apartments, bigger houses. Right. Bigger, you, know, play, you would just, you didn't get rid of things in the same way. Yeah. So people just collected anything. And, you know, living was relatively cheap here. And I think people just bought tons, of, just bought more stuff, you know? Yeah. And, the, and, the mod, and, you know, the modern way of living is to have a, an apartment with as minimum, like the most, yeah. the least amount of things in it possible. Yeah, like 20 books or something. At the most. Yeah. And it's usually just some like Tom Ford, you know, display book. Yes. And it's like one of those stupid yes. books. Um, and it's like very specifically dis like you have a few books in the corner of a shelf yeah. up against some sort of a, uh, some sort of a stupid plant. You know, it's like, there's a, it's a whole, like you yeah, see, just, you saw this on a lot, this version of design online and you're just kind of checking the boxes, but, uh, I'm definitely a book hoarder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you're a favorite kind of customer. Yeah. I'm a book hoarder <laughs> because I buy I buy things without any intention of reading them soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I see something that, because, and also, you know, like I bought four copies at this point. I just saw that you have another one of the first edition of Tom Wolfe's Radical Chic book. And I've given them out as gifts. And, you know, that's like a classic. It's one of his classic pieces of writing. Um, so I'm glad you keep on ending, ending up with first editions of them. And also, the thing about books now is that they're published in the shittiest quality ever imaginable there have never been worse quality yeah. like a brand new book will be on newspaper print yeah. and with no margins and with the, the print the, on demand kind of glossy it's look a glo- it's like not yeah. even gloss yeah, yeah it's like glossy on the outside but it's just basically the quality of a recycler yeah. issue of the recycler from the 90s on the inside um and it's really depressing to spend money on not just it's not about the money it's just you can't enjoy it's it's like takes about fifty percent of the enjoyment of reading out mm-hmm. of it if it's not pr- properly presented, mm-hmm. maybe more. Mm-hmm. Willa Cather uh, was of extremely controlling of how her books appeared, mm-hmm. like, and that's why they look so great. Right. Her her original up until actually just in, up until the nineties, they observed I think her at least the principles that she demanded because in the paperback in the nineties of her stuff, mm-hmm. it's still big margins, nice font. Nice, nice letter, nice letter size. Now I think they've gone, it's gone all cheap. But up until that point, and I found copies of her from the 20s here. Books made in the 20s just... So her estate just stopped uh, like, I, stipulating that that way? I get, or, or the, the, the rights ran, I mean, or copyright ran out or whatever. Because mm-hmm. now I, f- I find her in this shit, in shit mm-hmm. condition. And for 100 years or whatever, 80 years, that wasn't the case. Um, it's demoralizing because like, any, when I find a book from the 20s or 30s, and this is where even libraries can be useful, and it, it can be the most, it can be the most chewed up copy, but the the paper quality and the print is so nice. Mm-hmm. It's just like reading it is a is a transporting experience. Mm-hmm. That that doing it off of a shit little uh, newspaper thing roll isn't gonna isn't gonna match. And so like I find myself I find it to be gl- more glamorous now to find a used book from a good edition than to order a brand new thing online, which inevitably just comes in crappy form to me, you know? I can't even think of the, the a recent book that was printed in a way that I like. Like, even the fancy thing by, like, Bob Dylan, is it's, like, it's a nice... It's all nice, except even, like, the paper has to be shit. I don't yeah. understand why. Yeah, <laughs> For yeah, a yeah I, I hear you. I completely agree. Um, yeah, there's just not as much care and concern in objects in general. I mean, you know, that, that extends to, like, Look at the housing that they're building in LA. You know? Well, they, it's all—it all kind it's of like, is kind of it's all the same thing. Kind yeah, of thing, cheap. You know? uh, it's all like the cheap, cheap uh, kind of cookie cutter 
empty, yeah. empty, empty. So, I mean, you know, my, my point being ultimately that this is a cultural, um, this, this, this shop is really, is like a, a cultural outpost in a way that, you know, even before 2020, you could, first of all, there were more used bookstores, there are very few now, it seems, a lot of them have closed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we're one of the few places left, we own the building. Oh, okay. Do you own the entire is it just this building? That would be incredible. No, I know. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I would love it if I owned this whole strip. Yeah. No, we own just this building, and we rent to the clothing store next door. Oh. Okay. La Poubelle owns their building, um, which is about the same size as this one, and then everything west of us is owned by one other person. One other person. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we're the two. There's three. There, yeah. There's three owners of this block. Yeah. Has there been any pressure to, you know, rent it like? Uh, I, I don't know what you guys could get if you leased it out to a restaurant or some stupid thing that's going to go out of business. I mean, why would I do that? I, mean, I, don't know, you know. <laughs> I love what I do. Right. <laughs> and do you, do you, that's great. Um, yeah, we're lucky. I mean, in that, I, I think we probably would have, stru- we would have struggled if we would have had to pay market rent right. in this space, given what I know, what we make. It would have been a, it would have been a difficult struggle, but because... You know the building is long paid paid off at this point. Um, we're we're going to be able to conduct business at least for my entire life. That's right. Sort of You're low. not. You have no intentions of giving this up for no. anything. No. I mean, so, we've, we're approached all the time. I'm sure. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, any weird little like small corporate kind of thing would love to come in here and take this place over. But the entire block is all independently owned. It's like one of the few places in LA that is. You know, there's no. There's no chains, right, on this block. That's true, and it's always been the case. It's always been the case, except yeah. for the, well, the only exception is a sushi place. I guess that would be a chain. Is That's, that well? It's it's an LA. It's an LA chain. It's not a big well, deal. Well, so chain. is the juice bar technically, then, right? Too, the and the yeah, ice cream place, but that doesn't count. There's, yeah, there are like four or five of these. Yeah, of those that something. doesn't count just if it's four or five. No, this has been. I mean, Franklin Village has always been had this character yeah. for a reason. Like, I've been. I mean, I grew my my grandmother's apartment is. Um, uh, a couple blocks from here, so I I've been coming here literally my entire life. I was literally basically ra- I was raised by, in large part by her, especially in my earliest years, uh, just a few blocks from here. Well, this is a big Armenian neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So a little Armenian. Ha- it has been always has been. Yeah, it always has been at least for fifty years. Yeah. So at least I guess sixty years at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's in you know I didn't really start coming here until around the year 2000. Mm-hmm. I remember some. I remember the very first time hearing about this store. Somebody said, oh, I, my great aunt had just had been here and she said, what a beautiful bookshop. Mm-hmm. And she'd bought some books and took me here. And, you know, I looked, I think at the time I was really into Agatha Christie. So I was looking for Agatha Christie books. <laughs> <laughs> she was my first adult author that I liked. Um, so that ever since then, it's been a fairly regular uh, visit. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I could see, like, in the old days, in the 60s, there would have been, like, folk performances back here somewhere, you know what I mean? I mean, we moved in here in 79. Yeah. I can't ima- I don't, not too sure about exactly, like, I mean, I have pictures from, like, the 20s, and I have pictures from the 40s. I don't really have, there's a gray area in there where I don't have much information about what was happening in, yeah. this, in this area. This was a grocery store, so my guess is it wasn't very... No, I'm, I mean, like, just like, I'm just like... Are you talking about now? I'm talking about yeah. now, if, the, sure. if now, if it was now, but the 60s, yeah. which doesn't make any sense, but I'm always <laughs> thinking in these trends. I'm always transposing decades, you know? 
Because also, I mean, I'd spend... You, the thing that, that pains me, too, is this was open until 11 p.m. Mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Yeah. Every yeah. night. Yes, I know. Yeah. 11 p.m. Yeah. And now it's like eight. 7, eight. 7 or 8. And yeah. it's closed on a few days a week still? Just or? one. Just Monday. Just Monday. Yeah. Okay. Because for... Yeah. We're going to change it. It's we, We've suffered a lot with, with you know, employees and employee costs. And, um, you know, trying to just, like, not... Those, you have to have the right person to be in here at that at that hour. And the employees I have right now are kind of day employee type mm-hmm. people, and it would just burn them out to be mm-hmm. open till eleven. And you know, for a while, there wasn't much going on around here, and now right. it's starting to come back. Right. So I mean, we are we're we're definitely gonna push to nine, and probably we're gonna you know try to get an events program together soon where we're at least open once one of the weekend days late. Right, due to an event. Event, yeah. But I mean, uh, you know, like eleven. It's it's. I'm I'm a morning person, and mm-hmm. as the owner now, who's responsible for everything, I f- kind of like would like a nine o'clock sort of like. I know the place is closed, and I don't have to think about it. Yeah, I see um, what you mean. That's sort of like you know. But we used to actually be up until midnight. <laughs> I mean, we were up until midnight when I first started working here, and but we did also didn't open until three. Right. So we were open from... These are my hours. Three to midnight. Three to midnight. That's, yeah. that's just perfect for me. Because then I would be able to walk in here at around 11 p.m. I mean, eventually, we'll, we, it really depends on like who I, in the future, partner up with. You mm-hmm. know, if I partner up with someone who's more of a nighttime person, then that would probably be a possibility. Because mm-hmm. um, there's, there's something nice about being open that late. You know, it's just, a haven. Yeah, because nobody does it. Nobody anymore. does it, especially after now. COVID. Especially yeah. now. After, now yeah. it's like, forget yeah. it. So yeah. you would be literally the only place that's yeah. cultural and open, including coffee. There's no coffee places. No, I know. There's no coffee places. I had an open. employee here I was really good friends with, and we used to make a joke. We're like, we would be here at like 11 at night, and we'd be like, what if we just never closed? Right. <laughs> what if we or were just, just here? Like, what if we were just open all night, and we would just like, joke about like who would come in? It would be me. Yeah, I, 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 can, I can answer that question right now because I go on my walks as late as 4 or 5 in the morning. Yeah, we were sort of like, who would come in at 3 in the morning? It's just interesting to see. Me and your number one you customer. Know? And I would buy shit because I'd be at that point I might be wasted. You never know. Yeah. It, uh, we were always thought it would be just really interesting to see what the demographic there, and would be. And there would be other weirdos too. Yeah, I don't think I'm the only yeah. weirdo. I am the only weirdo I see walking around, but I yeah. think people are just... People have become such. I think if there's a place that they can come in and hide, yeah, among uh, you know between the covers, yeah. they would. Yeah, certain other vampires. Yeah, who knows what wickedness might breed, might 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 brew in such circumstances. But that's the point. Yeah, yeah. This has always been a haven for weirdos. That is for sure. But I will say that the maybe it's the the neighborhood getting so expensive and like becoming like a difference you know, situation than it was when I started here in the 90s, that there's a lot less weirdos than there used to be. This also used to be considered the literary area of Los Angeles. All these writers lived in this neighborhood. So a lot centered around, uh, you know, I had two writers who worked here and we developed like a program for, um, you know, they had reading groups and they had readings and like it was generally engaging some of these older writers who've always lived in this neighborhood. I mean, it used to be like, Dennis Cooper and Jerry Stahl and like those kind of people. Are they coming here all the time? They used oh, to. Shit. Yeah, yeah. So that this this area used to kind of that it was thought of as the writers' neighborhood, the writers which sort of makes sense. It's quiet, you know. It's it's a it's a it's a walkable neighborhood. You don't have to have a car. 
it's very you know it totally makes sense it's always struck me that way too yeah i mean i've well i've started to notice as you know in the last 20 years that there were a fair amount of like act like you know occupied writers would Mm -hmm. be worth living around here more or less um there's a there's a certain kind of yeah i mean the thing is it was that happy medium for a while of not too expensive and also pleasant and also a little bit uh, a little bit spooky and like franklin kind of franklin kind of brings that draws that i think energy especially as you get into this big specific area mm-hmm. uh the scientology center shadow on like you know the dahlia the black dahlia kind of relationship to the neighborhood and there's a lot of that yeah i mean there's it's it's a it's chandler's noir neighborhood yeah it is his know? neighborhood so i mean there's that's a beautiful thing i think you yeah. know i mean and it's sort of inescapable that i you know that it's something about the buildings in this in the in the, the buildings that are like on franklin that line franklin and just how they catch light at night. they catch light in they the catch most light in a very interesting and way. the palm trees also yeah. catch light in the yeah. very the palm trees do that what is it called that like Chio Roscuru or whatever the fuck that thing was. Cheers. It's that, yeah. that kind of effect went on yeah. the, in the yeah. evening sun, which can be, you can just like catch yourself staring at it for yeah. half an hour, at least if you're me. Um, yeah, and as you go up into the hills too, you get the same, you get the similar effect. I think it's like anytime you're at the, I mean, the same experience I have in Palm Springs, I think anytime you're at the foot of a mountain or foot of any kind of elevation right there's something about the way the light hits things at night that right. that, that reflects and retracts that's got to be to me why Chandler set so much you know stuff in this in this neighborhood yeah but, certainly you know a new writer that's gotten kind of a lot of attention that we were really good friends with who um, lived in this neighborhood is Eve Babbitts oh yeah. love Eve Babbitts yeah, I've been really getting into her lately yeah. um, last was, year and a half I did an episode about her are you and doing? I'll do more in the future oh, yeah she was a good friend yeah. She was a friend. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I have a couple things upstairs. When's the last time you you I know she We she, bought her estate. Yeah. Oh, you bought her estate. We did. Yes. So, we bought her uh library when she moved out. She used to live on um Wilton north of Franklin. Is that where she lived up to the end? No. No, she lived in WeHo at the end, I've heard, right? Uh, she lived over in um Park La Brea. Park La Brea. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. she lived in Park La Brea. She lived she left here a friend of mine actually bought her house um, after she moved on Wilton. on Wilton. Is it north or south? North, north, north of Franklin. Yeah. It's a beautiful little, a beautiful little house. She was a pack rat and destroyed it. I've I mean, heard. At, at that point in her life, you know, that was after she was burned, and you know, she was. Uh, yeah, you know, that was horrible. Yeah. That's. I'm friends with. I mean, fr- I become friends with uh, Lily Annalink, who wrote a book about her called uh, Hollywood's yeah. Eve. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hollywood's Eve. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's great. Um, I read it. Right, and she and it is great, and she's going to also, she's working on a piece right now for Vanity Fair about. There's been more stuff discovered. Maybe it's your estate. I mean, there's like more some new papers, letters, whatever. Yeah, we don't have the papers and letters. Okay. We just we just bought her. Per, we bought her. Books. You bought her personal. We bought her. Books. Li- we bought her books and her records, and she gave us a couple like signed things that are really nice that I have upstairs. Um, you know, her dad was this very famous violinist, Saul right. Rabbits. Um, so we have a bunch of his stuff. Um, and Stravinsky was her godfather. Stravinsky was her godfather. Yeah. So we yes, um, there's uh, just anything like the the other owner Susan was about the same age, and they were you know they were they spent time together. Yeah. So I I came in later, and I just at that point I had like found a little paperback of Eve's Hollywood, and this was probably like in the '90s, and before anyone knew who like it was right, talking about her at yeah. all. 
and I read this little paperback and I was like, oh, this is like, like I like this more than Diddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's like more me than Diddy. It's like more <laughs> us than it really is. Like it's the same. That's exactly the feeling I had. The first one I picked up was um, Slow Days, Fast Company. Yeah, which is I think the you know the superior yeah, book, but that's definitely. as a book. But Eve's Hollywood has a lot of good stuff in it, especially about Hollywood High. Yeah, where my mom went to. Yeah. And uh, I mean, instantly, you know, I, I, I love, I, I've, this is an ongoing theme in my, in my podcast, but I, I love slouching towards Bethlehem and White Album. Mm-hmm. But the later Didion and the cult of Didion and the thing of Didion is extremely t- tiresome. Uh, and for all the qualities of those two books and for, you know, thoughts on L.A. in general and of play it as it lays when it works, which is not often, it's yeah. not even close to capturing the reality of the city, which I think mo- eludes most writers. Yeah. It's a little too diffuse for most writers to get their hands around, uh, to get the, to get a kind of their mind wrap their minds around. But the one time I've actually felt like uh, it had been captured was by Eve Babbitt yeah. in her way. Well, in her world, lot. you're a native, so it says a lot. Yeah, it, yeah, and she's a native too. She's a native too. In a way that Didion's just not. Just not. Right she's an, Didion's a spoiled yeah. Sacramento uh, rich girl. Yeah. Like, I, which being rich is not the problem, but she was clearly she always had a kind of contempt. Yeah, which, I mean, in Sacramento and LA, have very little. Nothing common. to do. With yeah, nothing. I yeah. mean, this California is California, like, but sure. nothing to do. Nothing, nothing to, to do, do with, with each other. other. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate her farm girl snobbery. Yeah. Actually, I like that because there's a there's a lo- large place for that within the California yeah. arena. You sure. know, because California yeah. is this war between, kind of like not war, but there's this there's a huge and interesting tension between the vast amounts of farmland and country mm-hmm. in California, and the you know various few urban areas sure. with their very unique characteristics. There's also very almost no connection between San Francisco and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. why this mostly imaginary rivalry has sprouted, because mm-hmm. it's purely a rivalry of spirit and of culture and mm-hmm. of mentality, not of act, and, you know, not based in any kind of actual competition, yeah. <laughs> you know, except sports. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I live there. You like, yeah, what do you yeah. think? Okay, what's your take on this? Um, I, my take has always been that they hate us, and we don't give, we don't a, give a shit about them. Exactly yeah. what I mean. They, they're obsessed <laughs> with hating yeah. us because that, they have their That's died snobs. out a little because they're, it's turned into such a shitty city. Yeah, they can't really, like, so lord it over anyone. They can't right really now. hold that. <laughs> they, they have nothing they're like, our sh- homeless shit smells yeah. better than your homeless shit. <laughs> oh, they just don't have anything to hold over us anymore. Like, they used no. to have some sort of symbol. But, you know, I always, like, you know, my one of my favorite things that a friend of mine said who I was living up there with who grew up down here he was just like i fucking hate this city and all of its fake victorian charm get me back to my strip malls yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah i at that point i hadn't lived in la and i started coming down to visit and then like, everyone was everyone hated it mm-hmm. and i just back was like everyone hated la everyone i remember, I remember. that's just well, what i grew up like, in. I, I grew up I, under post the... riots post earthquake yeah i mean i that's when i moved here yeah and i just remember coming down here and just really falling in love with it in this way that i was like I grew up in the country and the suburbs, so I was a car kid, and it just seemed I hated walking, and I was thrilled yeah. to live somewhere where I didn't have to do that, right. and I could just also be more isolated and hide, and um, 
yeah, I just I just fell in love with it in this very quick way that everybody else was completely disgusted and mystified by why why I liked it so much. I've noticed this is a this is a kind of a bellwether to me is whether people instinctively love LA or not because so many of them don't. More do now I've noticed, or maybe just because I'm curating my yeah. the people I care about more. Yeah. But but it used to be com- I grew up with nothing but I grew up under a cloud of uh, at best indifference to LA as a place mm-hmm. and at mo and at and, and an average not not necessarily hatred of LA which was hatred of LA was just always in the air obviously mm-hmm. but but that's what's nice about it too I mean it's not charming it's a beautiful place but it's not particularly charming yeah it's not charming like a it, cute little boutique shop exactly. down the street yeah, is charming it can be a very gritty place and yeah. that's what's nice about it it yeah. has these elements that you know it has so many crazy disparate elements that work together like it, it can be intoxicatingly beautiful and one of the most seductive places on the planet physically and it also can be like the dirtiest grittiest hellhole and you get these you get these i mean we know i mean it's like i don't even need to describe it. we get days here that nobody else does you know oh my god yeah and so i mean you, you just you, you don't want to forget them but the, 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 what we're talking about the comparison you know that always gets played between la as like you know uh, a second rate in comparison to either LA or San Francisco. It's yeah. like just long over. I no, think. it is over. That finally, over. you know, yeah. it took forever, but I feel like it's, it's totally over. Uh, which isn't to say that people are yet, uh, you know, they're not actually necessarily comprehending because also LA has seen better days. I mean, right now LA we're is not in a great place. We're not in a great yeah. place as no better than any other places. Yeah. I mean, none of the uh, none of the cities right now are in their no city that I've been to, mm-hmm. which is a lot of cities, I guess. I mean, I've been to, um, I've been to San Francisco multiple times since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York multiple, many times, more times than before. Um, of course, LA. I've been even to New Orleans once mm-hmm. and uh, Miami a few times. And for, Miami's whatever. I, I'm not going to even comment on Miami. It's kind of its own thing. It was just there. Yeah. It's just there. It's yeah. just. It's not. It's not as important as people make it out to be. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, I like it. I enjoy it. It's not that important. Um, as a as a signal of what's in because it's mainly just your it's mainly just it's mainly a portal to kind of south american banking and banking revelry yeah. and shopping and you know however that social brew is working mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. it's very argentinian heavy yeah. lately yeah i was there i was just there a couple of weeks ago how'd you what was on my sister moved there my sister lived here for 10 years and we had a great like it was great to have a family member here, um, but she and her husband, she and her husband moved there like, mm. two years ago, like in the middle of the pandemic, and um, it was my first time going to see her there. Since, yeah. Since then, I've never connected with that place. I've never really connected with Florida in any mm. way. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a Southwest guy in right. general. Like, I love. I mean, you're I spent amazing. Most of my time in Texas and oh. in New Mexico, and um, yeah, if I had my if I had my option, like, like that would be the, those are, yeah. those are the places I connect with the most. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd always look for the bright side of any place and the bright sides of Miami are well advertised. There's mm-hmm. no need to even repeat them. But the problem is that they don't necessarily have surprising bright side. That's kind of like what you, it's mm-hmm. kind of like what you already, yeah, we get it. There's, it's a party city. People like to party there. There's a lot of beautiful people there and in Florida generally. So why do you think we've sort of slightly fallen from grace? Because for about 10 years, we were like the most talked about 
city in the country. LA? Yeah, culturally. Oh, yeah. I mean, mostly because my, my take on it is just the art world. You know, the art world really like, has stuck, like, put us into a different kind of uh, cultural stratosphere that wasn't in existence before because we were always sort of like the second city of, of visual yeah. kind of art. And, you know, it be, the art world became has become so powerful here in a way that, you know, it's not New York, right. but it's it's not far behind. No, it's not and, far behind anymore. I mean, and nobody laughs at it like they used yeah. to. Because, like, amazing artists live here. Uh, and uh, there's amazing work that's always being shown and made in ways that I don't really follow. I don't really care about, um, you know, f- like... I don't either. Mainstream film or anything like that. So to, 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 to watch over the last decade the thing that you are most inclined to love or do see it inhabit the city that you love in a way that is you know it definitely felt like it reached a crescendo like you know in 2018 or something yeah well right before the pandemic before the pandemic yeah no it did reach a crescendo before the pandemic la was at its peak before the pandemic yeah yes uh it it was very strange and in and, and the other i mean my two touchstones for it are the art world firstly and like you know, in my other, you know, my my world, my gay nightlife world, mm-hmm. basically, it's like, you know, the advent of, of prep into the culture, basically, like, kind of created a Bacchanalian sort of atmosphere in the night, in the nightlife of L.A. Mm-hmm. that we hadn't seen in Before. a long time. Yeah. So, I mean, just the free-for-all, the sort of, like, it, you know, it was like, this was our, it kind of was our 70s. Right. You know? And for someone myself who's a little bit older than a lot of the people who are like moving here and kind of getting in there at that time, it was it's been it was very exciting, no and, doubt. And you know, parties and yeah, the, I mean the circuit. I mean I'm not a circuit party person, but just seeing the amount of things that were happening, events and the energy and the thing and all the things that like LA really wasn't known for in yes, the 90s and 2000s. Yes, there was sort of a there was like you know there was the 90s had its rock and roll yeah. had its like late rock you know yeah. metal and scenes and it had its rap scenes yeah. which are its own thing but uh you know unfortunately i never took event- i never went to gay events before the pandemic mm. i was not a scene person at mm. all i was afraid of gay bars mm. and i just you know was like wasn't i didn't have friends who mm. did it so i was never really tempted it was kind of uh, and and it, my resol- resolution during the pandemic was when shit opens up again, I'm going to do all the things I never did before. Yeah. And so I've been, cro- I've been like, you know, going to various events, including yeah. warehouse parties that go up till 6 a.m. and so on. And, you know, my sad state of the union right now is that it's like, it's not that good. Yeah, it's, uh, not, yeah. it's really shitty, actually. Like, yeah. and I, I, I can only, I don't know exactly what it was before. I can only imagine it was way In 2012 better. to 2019. 19. Or like, the, the kind of golden years, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm, know. I'm thrilled that I like was around to see it in a yeah. way that I mean, like I said, the two things I I can't speak for other cultural things. I, I'm only speaking for like I'm involved in the art world and like in the uh, gay in world, the gay world. Yeah. And those two things were overlapping, and you know, like in a way that like maybe you know woke is kind of destroyed a little bit you know Definitely woke is woke is kind of destroyed queer in a way that like yeah. you know where it needs to mean something a little bit more and you know. no that's definitely the case yeah but then the question would be the the, the interesting thing there is like when did that because i'm i've been thinking it's funny how like it took a while for that to destroy gay nightlife mm-hmm. here but it did in 2020 uh, that was the final yeah. cult, that was yeah. the final curtain because i mean it was not even legal to there was no there was nothing but uh, gay 
airheads on on the internet absorbing more and more of this stuff and doing nothing else with their energy yeah. so they just became little like basically little emoji people forever doomed to <laughs> yeah i mean we haven't recovered back no. to what it, where things were and I, I it might not ever happen it might have just been our moment and it also might have been just like everything lined up yeah in a way that was like very exciting and i like again i can only speak for the east side i don't go to the west side west not, side doesn't matter yeah I mean, but honestly. in on the east side there was like you know a, a, a really uh insurgent like crazy uh, art mixed with nightlife sort of were there any spots that were especially interesting or was it just more of like a comp, you know nebulous private were there places that like were really popping that now are kind of done for at the time um yeah I mean like just there were more art spaces right. that just you know functioned um I mean there's there's art still, orgy hybrid spaces yeah <laughs> i mean there's there's you know i i work very specifically with like a, a certain group of people who are in, involved in like uh you know um a very small scene but mm -hmm. like they, it spread to larger scenes and you know and, and it included like i i did a thing i did a party at a gay bar in 2015 that used to be in existence called cuffs and it was a leather bar on hyperion mm -hmm. that closed down and sometime in the in the aughts and uh through this foundation this uh art sort of collective called dirty looks i put together this uh a redux of the bar and we opened up in its space for one night and there was just like things like that mm -hmm. like we opened up the space in exactly the capacity that it used to be so like you know just like dirty old leathermen actually showed up who mm -hmm. used to go there we used to go yeah and we're just like so thrilled that we like you know did some weird thing for the night mixed with like a lot of young people who were like interested in like djing and doing performances and yeah um there were just things like that kind of in that time period and i'm not saying that those aren't still happening because i just went to one last night and it was great but it's was just, it? I went to this thing, my, my friend, um, she's, she did this uh, film called Ask Anybody, and it's just a compilation of gay porn mm -hmm. that she kind of sliced together in a you know, mashup style um, at Whammy, that, that place in, uh, Echo, uh, in Echo Park. Whammy? Whammy. It's a VHS store. Oh, I've never yeah. been there. I should yeah. go. It's a VHS yeah, store. it's a VHS store. Okay. Um, and, I mean, there's there are things always going on. It just, it, I feel like the... The momentum was really strong last summer. It came back really hard and then just kind of fizzled a little bit. And now it's like, you know, in this sort of same state where it's just like, hasn't, hasn't really picked up. And I just think it's, you know, partially just people's habits have just changed and people have just got much more you know they're, 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 they're fine with staying home. They're it's atomized. Like, yeah. They're very, they're, they're lazy socially. They're, um, they're afraid of other people. It's all there's all, all there's so many things. Yeah. All the negative things that like were bred by that lockdown, by yeah. horror lockdown, have yeah. not been overcome. Yeah. They're still yeah. there. And I might my definitely you know. It's definitely a pro. It's definitely something that's like seems to have settled settled into a lot of people permanently. <laughs> like I don't see the way out yeah. from a lot of people. Yeah. Now that's doesn't mean that there can't be a a counter reformation yeah. yeah i mean i would hope so I yeah i'm not going to stay in that sort of stasis kind of forever well you know? no it's just the way it's not it's the thing is like it, it never stays in the 
it doesn't freeze in the moment in time so much, but what happens is that it, it takes on like a cancer. It just sort of it pervades all the all the uh, all of the organisms and mechanisms that would typically fight that that mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Like it it gives you all these all it, you find a million excuses why mm -hmm. to continue being the way. You, that way mm -hmm. like it doesn't have to do with being afraid of a germ or virus anymore but now you're like well now you what's the point of going out when I'm, there's nothing but crap and what's the point like you end up I think developing all these intellectual uh, justifications for the virus that's over that's overtaken you um, I mean I've noticed it in myself as well I mean like I'm, I'm way more of a I've been this podcast is literally a a technique for battling this very malaise and this disease which i still battle daily which is like as, as social as i am and as much as i love going out i've been going out as much as you know reasonably possible this last year and a half almost two years whatever since it opened stuff opened but now like i'm looking around and i'm like what's the point of being here uh people are they've got their faces in their phones myself included often they've got they're not like looking to be flirty or social mm -hmm. They're all kind of, or they're all, if they're, if they're, if they are being social, it's with a kind of very insular clique of friends. They're not like dealing with strangers very much. Um, and I, all these reasons mount up and then you start to say, well, what is the point of going out? Yeah. You and know? also the expense. Yeah. And then there's the expense. Yeah. Of course, that's another the thing. The expenses change so much that it just like, you know, keeps things like you have to sort of budget yourself. Yeah. And then you, you know? do it and you're like, well, so why did I just do this again? What was what yeah, was why did what, I spend why did I spend all this money? On these drinks with like you know three night for or like you know, just yeah to have not a single warm interaction <laughs> with a human like what's what's going <laughs> you know it's yeah I mean they the the excuses mount and the only way to I think power through is to just keep on you look just keep on fighting and you know not give up <laughs> on social. On any kind of social life but I do think that this connects to why I mean I don't know that LA has lost its stars any more than anywhere else yeah, yeah, yeah. there are places yeah. that seem to have I mean New York is New York it's always going to kind of have this neurotic insanity that makes it something mm -hmm. that like it always attract that's why I always I had no I had no concerns about New York like dying from the pandemic even though it had that horrible obviously like an instant mm -hmm. instant uh, effect but i just knew that like of all the play like where else where else are you going to find an endless amount of just insane neurotic energy concentrated into any one place it doesn't mean it's very great or it's yeah. going to be very fruitful or fun or whatever but there's always going to be something yeah. there's always going to be something happening in new york sure. la on the other hand is ever on the verge of just being this apocalyptic hellscape where nothing seems to be happening yeah, at least that's sort of like a, almost like a ghost town almost yeah we're like we are literally a western boom town yeah. in a way yeah. where the gold was uh the gold where the gold was was movies more yeah. than uh I mean, it can be very sleepy it can be, it can be a very, very sleepy. sleepy city and it can be Which, very hard to find where what things will be happening yeah. but you won't know where they are i mean that was always my like one of my observations when i came down from san francisco when i was living up there is like you would just drive around and you would just see these like pockets of like bursts of energy that, yeah and i just loved it so much you would just like drive and drive and drive and see nothing and then all of a sudden you'd see like something happen a club somewhere. with like 150 people outside or something yeah. and then you drive like another mile and you'd be like oh there's this weird like 
coffee shop and a bunch of people hanging out at like midnight and just it was one of the things I love most about it it yeah. just felt so weird to me because I grew up on the east coast right where you where you know exactly where yeah I grew up outside of Philly I mean it, it takes the it's 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 kind of like it's a combination of enchanting and annoying because the annoying part is when when that becomes hard to find mm -hmm. you get tired and you get you feel overwhelmed and you feel like this place is just too big you're too small mm -hmm. but on the other side if you've cultivated the skills of a treasure hunter mm -hmm. as the original pioneers of this land mm -hmm. had that is then you know that is what you kind of need to mm -hmm. ultimately and you need to find a way to like hunt for treasure without feeling overwhelmed by the by the effort I mm -hmm. guess because that's what it's like it's like that and, and like, I feel like Edmund White said it perfectly. He's like, LA is just a group of villages. Right. Yeah. We're all villagers. It's like all these little villages, and each village has its own little identity. And like, you go to each one for certain things, you know. Yeah. And like, it's it's like that's how it's always sort of been for me. There's like four villages I go to. Right. <laughs> Right, and this is Franklin Village. This, this is, is by this, name, which by is name. yeah, which is kind of connected to Los Feliz. And yeah, like, it is. Of, it is. I think of that as like a one bigger neighborhood, and then there's Silver Lake, and then there's you know Echo Park and Koreatown, and those are like the four things. The four, thing, yeah, the four east side, the four east side stuff. sort of things that you go to. You yeah, know? and then if you're Armenian, you have to throw in Glendale. And yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. I mean, I have actually a connection to just about everybody because I grew up on the west side most of the time and even though I was conceived right here mm -hmm. I was conceived right below the Hollywood Bowl mm -hmm. on the Holly Drive 2045 oh, that's Holly where Drive. The, that's where the owners live oh really yeah they live yeah. on Holly Drive yeah that's that's uh that's so that's a you know that's a that's a, that's a very important street for me <laughs> personally I grew up and, and on you know, 2040 2045 Holly Drive it rhymes they're very close to you. 2045 yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at the condo, there's a condo building with like uh -huh. three, four condos. We were in the very front one. Um, and my dad lived there until 2003, then moved to the west side. But so until until then, I was mm -hmm. either living there or there on weekends. Wow. Um, and so where was I going with this? But I mean, the 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 uh, the the yeah. There's this. I have a connection to every village in LA at this point, pretty much. You can, like, there will be a reason, even, like, Compton and stuff. Mm -hmm. I used to play basketball there. Uh, we used to play all our games in mm -hmm. middle school. Again, schools in Compton and in, you know, South South Central. So I, even there, I have, right. like, right. there's and very few places. It's very different if you grow up here. You have yeah. a much different connection to this. If city. you got around. If you got around. I yeah. mean, I guess some people yeah. don't. But a lot, most, most of the time you I do. mean, most of my employees here are, people, are kids who have grown up here. And I just find that they have such a different sort of relationship to the city than I do. Even though I've been here as long or longer than most of them right you as an adult where you choose to spend your time is going to be a lot different than like when you're in school or yeah you know, doing and then i didn't go to college here either so right oh have you noticed i mean a character difference like do you notice a certain can you peg when someone's an la native you think yet because i'm starting to realize that i can although... i sort of can yeah I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. I only ask because I, I sort would... of think that. I mean, I I think that there's a similarity to all of them mm -hmm. because I've all yeah. the ones at least that I've had work here. What's what would you? How would you describe that similarity? Um, I mean, like I said, I grew up in like a rural area, so like I didn't have any kind of worldly yeah chops to navigate a city. <laughs> like, right. I feel like they're just they just grew up in a city. Yeah. Know? It's like a completely different experience. So, 
Um, but something specific to LA versus other yeah, cities. Yeah, versus like New York or San Franciscan. I mean, they're. I mean, I feel like you know people who grew up in LA are pretty neurotic. Neurotic. Yeah, I don't feel like they're like chill by any means. You know, they seem to all have the same kind of like, you know, difficulties like different from like a neurotic New Yorker, but mm-hmm. like anxiety maybe. Anxiety. Or, you know. I mean, you know, spot the lie. Yeah. Um, I think it's a tough place to grow up, you know? It is a tough place you know, to grow a up. Lot, it's a lot, there's so much status and there's so much money kind of around. and it's just, There's a lack of neighborliness, which is a problem in most, although some neighborhoods have it. There are places where neighborliness exists, but there is overall a lack of neighborliness, which when you compare it to the, like, depictions of hometown life mm-hmm. in the media that you want to consume you know or like there's this idyllic home everywhere is an idyllic hometown mm-hmm. kind of you know whether it's in the suburb, suburbs or wherever it's set I mean I remember growing up being like jeez uh, I wish I, li- I lived in a small town mm-hmm. where I could where everyone knows each other and like friends are constantly over at each other's houses I mean that was a I was so sheltered by yeah, just that's how I grew up yeah, I, you know, I, I really learned, I, one of the things I felt like another, I hate getting back to the pandemic because I just don't care. Uh, but well, it was just, we try to escape watch, it. But it was just watching fucking, my nephews uh, who you know, grew up, who live in the country, yeah, how they dealt with it versus my friends here in L.A. with their children, I felt like my f- brothers, you know, my nephews were so much more well-adjusted than my you know friends who have children in in, in, Los in LA Angeles. yeah I feel like all their kids were just neurotic like they all went through some really dark like whatever phase and yeah they're just you know and part of that is just how the, a city reacts versus how well, a small we, town reacts yeah also small towns in like I notice I've been noticing this too and like uh, to, to me obviously this is where Florida I think got a big advantage because Florida stayed open mm-hmm. and any place that I went to Miami in 2021 mm-hmm. March uh, spring break mm-hmm. I hadn't been anywhere for a year uh, and and I go there I go there and I'm like I, I was almost I was almost in like a fugue state for mm-hmm. days in tears I heard what 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 brought me to tears was the first time I'm here I realized I hadn't been into I hadn't heard room tone mm-hmm. crowded room for a year mm-hmm. I hadn't been in a place where there was a crowd and like I'm hearing just the hum of people talking, right, and right. it's and I'm like going crazy because it hasn't been. It's a good observation. It yeah. was it was amazing. I mean, I loved it, but I, I realized how much was missed. You know, mm-hmm. I knew it, I knew that I was missing that, but still, the sensation of it was overwhelming. Well, the, the reaction here was just that's, the reaction here was horrible. <laughs> this neighborhood, above the, all, it's it's one of the reasons why my sister and my brother-in-law left is because they were just a, they were like, this is just gone so far overboard in this way that like and predictably so if you knew the type of people who were pushing that mentality I mean they have such they, they'd been they'd been you know f- internally freezing for years as it was and this just gave them <laughs> this just gave well, them yeah, I mean, a absolute of, license a lot of to, those people they, I, I love to say they'd be, they'd be happy to mask and socially distance their entire lives yeah they are they're down for it they're three like, four five masks love it. yeah that's they, their that's, ideal <laughs> they're such yeah I mean they're such a faceless people to begin with so it matches their their internal state and they were given carte blanche yeah to lord it over everyone yeah. and to and to and to scold and to punish all of society these yeah. people the worst people ever 
the biggest, most annoying people ever were just given carte blanche. So yeah. it, it wouldn't didn't take a genius to realize where that was going to go yeah. and how that was going to destroy everything, and which is exactly how it's panned out. And it's affected all the cities, especially the liberal cities, more than anywhere else. Sure. So you have these like contrasts now where that are are kind of anomalous, but not completely. Which is where yeah, L.A. by virtue of just being a city. Um, suffered badly. New York suffered badly, but not as bad because they got back on their feet earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, they opened up earlier. It's all about how early you opened up and how, how how much time was spent in that state of terror versus opening up and being human again. I mean, I never really had to, you know, like, we were closed for two months. Yeah. And then we, like, I mean, I had COVID, like, week one. Right. So, and I recovered and you were I, like, I just didn't, it's not that I didn't care. I sympathize with people. I sympathize with what people are going through. But I knew I personally was... You were like... I had antibodies. Yeah. I, I got tested. And I was like, well, I'm going to open. And I opened here two months... Like the, We were actually one of the models for retail um, that basically... We were one of the models for retail that... Um, the city used to determine how many people you could have in a space. Yeah. So we worked with that really early on, and the reason being is like, we're not a restaurant, we're not a bar. You can like we which we worked really within the limitate like within the what was ex- what you had to do, and it, it worked, and we thrived in ways that I never expected. And so I opened what two months like the first day I could open, I opened, mm-hmm. and. You know, people just, they came in for 15, 20 minutes, they wore a mask and just did their thing and bought right. books. I mean, I did, I, I mean, I was thrilled to be able to do that. And I also was thrilled that I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't afraid. Yeah. Also because I had it, I feel like I recovered, I knew my body could obviously handle it. Um, it was obvious pretty early that it wasn't a, you know, it just was not a plague. That was going to just wipe people I out. Mean, but people didn't. They didn't know. No, that. they didn't know. Yeah. In the fir- I'm not saying the first yeah. two weeks. I'm saying oh, yeah, by, yeah. by like two, like a month and a ha- two months in, it was obvious that we're just nobody wants to be the first mm. to make a tough decision mm. and be like, well, it was. It was just like it was obvious that okay, some we're all going to get this eventually. Yeah. Some of us are going to die from it. The ones who are most at risk, they need to be protected as much as possible mm. and discouraged from socializing and da 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 da. But for the rest of us, it's just a matter of time when we get this shit. Yeah. I, you know, I get that you want to wait for like a variant so that it's a lot weaker or whatever. But like, on the other hand, I know right now that you're gonna that a bunch of people are gonna kill themselves out of despair mm-hmm. because you cannot. Like, there was a known co- yeah, cost yeah. that was completely ignored, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. was a psychological yeah, cost. Yeah, a psychological cost. I think from I mean, my from my perspective, this is my is way way outweighs the you know. The, it, it was the most obvious. It was, it was, I mean, just like, just for people coming in here, I mean, we were open 12 to six, five days a week. And I was here every day. Uh, and, and the amount of people coming in that just were like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. For you literally know? giving me a Thank place. you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I was, I'm going crazy. I'm losing my mind at home. My boyfriend's driving me insane. My roommates are driving me insane. Is it okay if I just hang out here? And people just came and like I said, we were like, it. Also was the first time where I was like, I really realized the importance of what I do yeah. and how much of a difference it makes to people in their lives. And also watching 
people who used to come in and I'd say they'd come in and they'd buy like two or three books and they'd leave. Now we're buying stacks of like eight and ten, eight yeah. to ten books. And it was just very exciting to watch. And from, from the, the, the situation that we were in, watching people like build all these new readers and as far as I can see, they've maintained it. Mm-hmm. Like they got a practice during it and they maintained it. I'm not sure it's, I, I'm not sure because I, I don't keep tabs on everybody who comes in, but I feel like we, we got a lot of readers, a lot of new readers. Out Maybe of that. we can add a surveillance system <laughs> so we can track the readers when they go when back they go and see like, how much they're actually much, reading yeah. and then remind them yeah. you haven't done your reading this yeah. week. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're not doing it as much as they used to, but we had people like really, I mean, it just, it blew my mind. That was the one thing for me that I will, I'll probably remember most from that situation is that it brought this new energy into reading. Yeah, it did. Like, I just was so exciting to watch. And also just, like I said, just made me realize, like, oh, what I do is really important. I never thought of what I, what I do here as important. Right. I don't think of it, I just think of it as an extension of, like, my life. Right. But to see, you know, people just, like, hungry and excited and want to just, like, you know, consume um, books, like, <laughs> it's like, that was maybe the, like, best thing about it you know? yeah I don't know I mean I don't know if it's like I said I don't know if it's maintained I, I think there's definitely people who develop some sort of practice that they've maintained because we're doing just as well as we used to yeah but I don't know no. you're doing just as well or better than you used to like relative um, to the hours and stuff like that are you is it because it seems like people would be reading and buying I mean I am I didn't read much for the three years I'm a, I've always been a big reader for like the three years prior to the pandemic, two, three years, I was so busy and like mm-hmm. things were so optimistic generally in my life. I had so much to do that I didn't have as much time to just read. Right. And since then, of course, I've, been, I've erected all kinds of excuses. Yeah. I have a podcast where I read books and talk about books right. and I go on other people's podcasts to talk about books. But And I've developed, cultivated, the, recultivated the importance of reading. Um, and of kind of absorbing ideas from th- that are that have permanent value. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I would think that your business, like per per adjusted for hours and stuff, would actually be better. Mm-hmm. Is it been the case, or is or it's hard to tell? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I, I think it's it's the same, but it's at much less hours and mm-hmm. much less, you know, overhead. Overhead. So, so I, I think it's better. Yeah, it's definitely better. Um, and, you know, part of that is just, like, us never, you know, really understanding, like, modern life, because we're all so, like, you know, stuck in the past here, yeah. that we we could have done this a long time ago, because people now, you know, it's like, we used to always just kind of think we're catching business just by people walking around, or mm-hmm. people eating dinner, and stuff like that, which, we, which you do, but for the most part, business is done by, like, they're open from this hour to this hour, and that's when I'm going in. That's what people do. And, like, I realized, not so much during the pandemic, but after, that people, like, are just, that's how they, that's how they come to your store. It's, like, it's not as, it isn't as random as it used to be. It's not just, like, oh, I'll just stop there. You know, people are much more targeted about how they spend their time. Yeah. And also, like, there's just, there isn't as much going on at night around here like there used to be. Yeah. So, that reason being is, like, we've actually... I think done just as well. I mean, we we 
you know, we talk about this all the time, like, how are we going to, like, do better? Mm. How do we do better here? And, you know, we're trying to, we're kind of in that situation, like... Sell coffee. <laughs> it always <laughs> Things like that. I mean, do we do, do we do coffee? Do we do a bar? Do we do an event space? What do we do to, like, kind of Honestly, like, yeah. get into the next level? And it's like, all of us have creative lives, and mm. we're all doing things, and we're sort of doing as much as we can in the yep. situation that we have. And I mean, hopefully like I'm, I'm going to try to expand things in the next couple of years because I just feel like it's, it's the thing to do right you now. It's yeah, the thing try. to give your customers. It's the thing to give your community. It's the thing to give people that you, you know, care about, but it is everything that goes into that direction also then takes away from like each employees and myself's creative life, which I think is, equally as important to, yeah. to have so um yeah i don't i don't really know what your background is like i mean I know it's you a read, mystery it's all i know you read books it's a like, vague mystery no yeah i mean i've been in i've been um I kind of had this, you know, interestingly, I had an interesting perch on the way the world changed. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing if you're kind of depressed and going through the motions already, mm -hmm. which a lot of people were, mm -hmm. just because life is hard now. And then it kind of gets worse. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of like, yeah, but what's the difference? It was already, it already sucked. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people who have that mentality, I feel. And I think that that's deceptive because mm -hmm. it, did, it clouds just how much worse it got mm -hmm. and just how much things changed. I think that if you had a more optimistic perch at the time, mm -hmm. you were able to see more of mm -hmm. just how, how much was lost, mm -hmm. how much was destroyed, how much people changed. I mean, you know, to me, this notion of like there isn't enough, ha this notion of like going from where it seemed like every night things were happening in this village to to the degree that you're open to 11 p.m. or midnight mm -hmm. as a bookstore mm -hmm. like however profitable it is it doesn't really matter the point is there are people and they're trickling in and it seems like it's making sense and now to the idea that yeah well why would you there is nothing happening I and mean, they are slowly there is again but it's just that black and white difference just between how energy can evaporate from mm -hmm. a place and never return mm -hmm. it's just like it's like it's a it's a it's a it's like witnessing the end of a civilization, yeah. but just in miniature. And then you witness it there and here and there. You go around the country to all the cities. San Francisco is dead mm -hmm. on a non-weekend night, mm -hmm. as far as I can tell. Yeah. Dead. Yeah, yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> dead. Yeah. It's, it hasn't been dead for 200 years. Yeah. Like, I've been yes. reading just now the, late, the latest, like, from, the, from Oscar Wilde's time, how, oh no, he wrote in, what was it, in, um, in, in Picture of Dorian Gray, it talks about how somebody was rumored to have gone to San Francisco. Dorian Gray is rumored to have, like, disappeared to San Francisco, as if that's where you go when you die. Uh, there's, like, San Francisco's been a happening place forever, and it's dead on weekday, weekdays now. And, and, you know, you just see these things, and you're like, you try to well, imagine how to reverse so it. Hard. Yeah, yeah well, really hard. Yeah, a lot harder than here. Yeah. Definitely, because it had also a kind of a steeper... Steeper woke. Steeper so, woke thing, yeah. but big time and like all the, and also has worse problems. I mean, yeah. 
on the ground and and also has more disloyalty because a lot of the people there are just sort of mercenaries you know they're not like I mean there, we have a ton of mercenaries and transients as well and they all kind of immediately left after the pandemic all the people working in hotels and just went away but then they always get replaced there's always going to be a new that's the thing about LA is just, mercenary class there will always be a new mercenary class <laughs> that will what, who do we have now I mean, it's. I think it's just people poking around, yeah. looking for something, you know, aimlessly, kind of just like those transients who ostensibly came for like pursuing acting careers right. or modeling careers and end up working in hotels and restaurants. Right. I don't know what. I don't know if that same. Um, maybe they're like TikTok careers being. I don't know what it is that's yeah. now deluding people into coming and trying their hand at their 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 immense talents in LA. But it does seem like there's always some influx. Yeah. If if some, some charlatans, there's always some yeah charlatans and their kids and just like there's a there's like just just drawn to the myth of it still. Mm-hmm. Um, they they want to come and see the Kardashians or yeah. something like that. There's always going to be that. Um, and there's with San Francisco, it's going to take another industrial boom of some kind, as there frequently has been, to bring a new you know to like replenish it. It feels. I don't know what it's going to be this time because like the the tech industry seems obviously settled in but it's also I don't know it's like it's it's not a it's clearly not proven itself to be a reliable aristocracy mm-hmm. for that city mm-hmm. <laughs> cuz yeah. there's there's such they're yeah. so socially they're so socially dumb yeah. basically they're all autistic they're all they're all checked out and they haven't done a good job of keeping up that garden, you yeah. know. Shame yeah. on them. Shame. <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they've destroyed it. They've destroyed Literally. it. Shame. They've destroyed it. Yeah. I mean, I, what's great is I don't. Have, I mean, who I, cares? But I used to have a connection to the place. Right now you don't. It's so long gone. I like when I go there, I can experience it as like a place that I don't have the sort of baggage that I had with it. I mean, I was there in the early '90s and. It was just, you know, there wasn't any tech had, there was, it was before the first tech boom. Right, it was before the dot-com. It was before dot-com. So, I mean, it was a dirty, great, disgusting place where you could just have so much fun and revelry for cheap. And everybody was like, you know, I mean, but it also, that level, there was an implosion level there too, because it was just like nothing was happening really. Mm -hmm. Like the work that was being made there wasn't really good. It was all like weird, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was no good there was no art really and it was just like a place for like fuck ups to go party and like yeah. do math and do math heroin. and get AIDS yeah do math heroin and get AIDS yeah, yeah. the AIDS um, boom that we forget about the AIDS boom that was on San Francisco boom the yeah I mean that was the first place I really recognized it is like yeah. visiting there as a kid in the 80s and just you know you would just see like you know like old men who were 30 walking down the street you right. know um, it was very visible in yeah. a way that, right. like, you know, destroyed the city, you know? So, Horrible. I just before me, so right. I, don't, I don't know. You missed, you know, yeah, you I, thankfully I, missed I that. Thankfully missed that little, you know. Well, yeah, it's a whole story. Well, how that happened, how, how, that, how that was uh, kind of allowed to get out of control is a whole political scandal unto mm-hmm. itself, you know, because it was, the truth was known long before it was acted yeah. on, even by the gay, I'm talking about sure. by the gay people, not sure. that they blame Reagan and stuff, but it was... It, it started way before oh, that. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, there was so much 
permissiveness that people didn't want to give up to contain right. something. But and I understand that. I, I understand it too. I sympathize with that kind of sexual liberation where you're not going to give back something that you that you hard won. Yeah, I understand that too. And like you know, like a younger generation is never going to understand that. But no, no, they're not. But they but something that sh- that that. I'm constantly, you know, it's very relevant actually to the COVID thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which oh, yeah. is that I wrote about it right away. I was right, like, the connection. I saw the connection. I was like, this feels like just like when I was a kid. Right. Same exact kind of fear and crazy, just like. And instead of being said and done, that just like, but it's but, just like, just it's like I. This is the second age of my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and 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 the and the difference between this AIDS and the last AIDS. Is that this AIDS doesn't require actually catching anything physical for you to be diseased and, to, and and forever? Like it's like a you caught it. It could just be an intellectual disease you caught. You know, because AIDS was an actual real physical thing that yeah. absolutely without any with very little uh, forgiveness. Like I mean, some people were able to get out of it, obviously intact, but most people got really destroyed mm-hmm. in that first 10, 15 years, whatever it was, until they figured they got the cocktail together. But um, this is like that, but 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 you contracted it without having s- anal sex and without doing anything, and by just by being annoying. <laughs> like you know, at least at least at least uh, if you if you died of AIDS, you died of doing something you love. But this is just like a vacancy, and and the the connection to it that I see especially is that this inability to become intelligent. To handle something intelligent, of course, Dr. Fauci's involved in both cases. Yeah. I don't even yeah. want to get into him. Yeah. him yeah. Fuck. Yeah. But this thing where you have to wet blanket all of life, even though you know a specific behavior or a specific uh, uh, a comorbidity or whatever that 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 truly puts one in danger. Mm-hmm. It was known very early that this was contracted by receptively anal in AIDS, and it was known pretty early that. COVID is not really going to be, a, not a, really a problem unless you're severely obese or yeah. sick, as it is. So, like, the inability to, to, to act upon that specific knowledge at a society level in, a, in, a, mm-hmm. in an efficient way is what kind of annoys, mm-hmm. you know, gets to me. Like, because mm-hmm. it was so obvious so early, which is why so many of us were just like, we're not, we're not going to wear a mask outside. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. It doesn't help. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that wearing a mask outside if you imagine any benefit to wearing a mask inside, which is some logical, there's some logical benefit. Wearing masks outside is completely useless. Mm-hmm. So why are we living under this law that chokes us up and something <laughs> clearly is unhealthy yeah. for years? Yeah. Like, it's just, uh, I don't know why. Yeah. One can rant forever about COVID AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> HIV COVID. I mean, yeah. I want to get back into the business of okay. it a little bit because I'm just, I've, I've always just been, I'm always curious about shopkeeping. Okay. I was once, once a shopkeeper of a kind okay. sports cards okay. and I was really young and um, so I'm just curious about the business side of things again okay. like how many books do you sell in a month do you have any sense in your head no sense no all. sense in head no. what, what are I mean I'm, <laughs> what calculations other than pure instinct I mean I actually stuff? could look through our journal tape and right. see like how many books we're actually selling versus things I just what's a good day numbers wise are you allowed to say I'm just curious about these things you know I mean like I think you know I, I mean a, a good day for me is like you know two grand two grand like in a day nice, that's a nice good day okay know? I mean often we do more often we do less you know right so that's a good that's what I get, have a number in my head two yeah. grand 
And I mean, I'd love. I mean, we should be doing. I feel like we should be doing four. We should be doing kind of double what we're doing, but like I would have to change so much to what, get to that. What do you think? What would be your process to change it? I mean, firstly, it's like you know we're living in a world where um, you know PR is very important, and we don't do anything mm -hmm. to get people in the door. Right. We have, everything is just like you're word, just open. Word yeah. of mouth. Let them come in. Let them come in. Yeah. yeah. There's no you know there's no strategy for yeah. getting. Thing, you know, and it's like, which would seem to be events and stuff mainly, right? Well, or it's just you know, I mean, I look at a lot of people's social media accounts who have own bookstores, and they're just there's a lot more, there's so much more traffic mm -hmm. on their sites and like what they're doing. But then I look at what they're doing, and it's Nothing. terrible. Yeah. And so I'm just I don't understand. I mean, it's it's like not really that interesting of a question. You know, it's like. It's basically you have to hire somebody within the realm of like who understands your business in order to promote it, and mm -hmm. it's just not something we have time to do. It's hard to find somebody who understands your business. I yeah. Think, by the way, there are people that do though. Okay. Uh, there, we've been approached by a couple people. And it's just it's also very expensive. Yeah. And it's like, I'm also really kind of critical of the of any aesthetic change that they would want to make in order to like promote it. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, but there are people who do exactly what we do, and they have a, just just a lot more, you know. I mean, people come in here every day, and it's like, oh, I've never been here. And uh, we're like, well, do you live in L.A.? And they're like, yeah, I've lived here my whole life. And you're like, you've never been here, heard of, you know, it's like yeah, driven not, by. How many places are there? There's just no, there aren't that many places. Yeah, like, I mean, in, some in of any it, given place. Some of it is just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of young, new people in the city who weren't here before, and like, yeah. you know. This corridor, which I think is just like, you're eventually going to be on it. You're going to yeah. be looking around and see it. But that's really not a great way to be operating. Your, right, right. you got to like, find your way into their... You've got to find your way into their whatever. And like none of us here are really driven by yeah. like wanting to do that. Probably that's what an event is ultimately for of any kind. Is like you get people to come that then just know the place exists yeah. from then on. Yeah. You know, versus yeah. like that particular night. I mean, or changing a little bit like what we do. I mean, I'm not against having some kind of, you know, alcohol, beer and wine sort of place in the, like a bar or something, like a small bar. There's plenty of places that do that. I think it's very, it's, you know, it seems like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I also kind of like just like what we do. And yeah. like, why don't we just get better at what we do and figure out a way to just promote things to get people in here and see if we can make that happen. But... We are just like that's just not our forte. What's yeah. the crazy? What's the <laughs> wildest or craziest uh, incident? Maybe it's just somebody bringing a book to sell, or maybe it's something somebody buying a certain amount of crazy things in one go. Has there been like a? Has there been like a shocking episode of some kind revolving a customer or a bot or a seller in in your memory of this place? I mean, we've had so many crazy sellers over the years. Um, Recently, there's two guys, uh, like one of them is like a Hilton heir or something. Mm -hmm. They bought the Black Dahlia house uh -huh. down, you know, the one on Franklin, right? Like, Which one? Oh, I don't know the address. It's just east of, just west of Normandy on Franklin. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's, like, it's close. It's close. I wonder which one is. That's right where I live. You'd see where. I mean, it's the giant house. Oh, it's the giant yeah. one staring down Winona? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the Black Dahlia house. Yeah, that's the Dahlia Oh, house. I didn't know that. So these, this, couple, this gay couple bought oh, um, shit. that place recently, and they just came in here and just, like, picked out all, you know, because basically, and one another 
important thing about this neighborhood is like most of these homes have built-ins and you can't take the, the built-ins out of the home because it'll compromise the period or the aesthetic of the home so a lot of these homes in this neighborhood are filled with bookcases mm -hmm. built-ins and that house had a sh like you know has a ton and ton of built-ins and you know they came in here and just went on like a crazy buying spree awesome and just like filled their place with they were like well we want stuff like this we're not gonna like go and buy like you know don't touch 300 tashin books you right. know like they wanted old stuff that like matches the matches vibe, of the the vibe of the house. You know? I'm so excited that that's the Black Dahlia house. That's like the most enchanting house on uh, like, you know, for a good stretch. There's also the uh, William, the, the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright house yeah. pretty close. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that one, which is like towers it's, over my street. And it's terrifying looking. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. It looks like, like a, it like just looks like evil eye, evil, like evil yeah. things go on in here, and they did. Yeah, um, that was that's a me that was a memorable one because they spent a couple days here, like building their library. Um, I'm trying to think of like anything particularly weird that's happened, other than like our interesting clients that over the years um, we've done. You know, we did a Prince video. <laughs> Oh, you did a Prince video. video here when I was like very early on no in 2002. I think he did it. Yeah, yeah. He a, a young Prince pulls up and on a bicycle and goes to the counter and buys a record. Oh, yeah. no shit. Yeah, um, that was great, and that was also like, you know, everyone's always like asking about who comes in here. Like, yeah, who, who come? comes in? Or you know, that he was like really like the one person where I finally got it too, where I was like, oh. I spent like three days in the same room with him mm -hmm. you know like he was supervising the video and he was you know, he has this whole production company and they're very like you know they're all vegan and they all have the, they're all kind of Jehovah's Witness adjacent mm -hmm. kind of thing but just being like seeing him in person just being like it was the first time I've really I think understood celebrity mm -hmm. and I was like oh you really do have like otherworldly skin right like the kind of skin that I've never seen on any human being literal skin skin like yeah, his, his skin the quality of his skin was just so otherworldly i'll just i'll never forget it you know it was like one of these things that when people ask who comes in here like what's your best story i was like tons of people have come in here but like he's the one that like sticks out the most that just like kind of made me understand it too mm -hmm. in a way that i just never really got and mm -hmm. didn't care about either and i was like oh that's that's why that's why you're that person yeah you know like you're from another planet. Yeah, it's very important to, I think, encounter that level of brilliance so you know that it's real. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's not just a fabrication. Yeah. And it's him, too, so and it's, it's like, you know, like an incredible, you know, all-around you know, yeah. person, too. It's all him. Like, yeah. he's the one, Prince is the one behind Prince. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> he's it's the really one doing crazy. it. And the only other person I think that I've experienced that with who also came in here was, like, Kate Moss. And Kate it was Moss. just like, you're, like, from another planet. I've yeah. never seen anything so beautiful in my life, you know? So Kate um, Moss, Prince, and Eve Babbitts. <laughs> Eve Babbitts on the other end of the spectrum. Under the spectrum. Now, wait, so what's your connection? Did you actually relate to her personally when she was still alive? Did you actually Eve? deal with her? Eve, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, um, so yeah, she she grew up in this neighborhood. She grew up in Chermoya. Yeah. And then she, I think her, I can't, I don't, I remember the stories. She ended up with this house on Wilton, just north of, uh, north of Franklin, that she drove into the ground. And yeah. As she got more and more whatever I don't know what to say um, 
it just oh. became more and more of like, she also had a disease of some kind yeah. that invaded her brain yeah. there wasn't just it wasn't just psychological yeah. recluseness yeah okay. um so be- yeah before she before she left she she'd been coming she kind of, if she came in regularly she'd stop in when she was out but she was really reclusive yeah for the last i think 10 years of her life yeah. so um, yeah, I saw her around more earlier, earlier early on. on. I really yeah. wanted to track her down as soon as I found out about her, and then she died within a month or two. Like, yeah. I, 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 it was like two months before her, she died, you know, yeah. three months that I first, that I yeah. discovered her, and I'm like, uh-huh. And I know that she was, it was sort of a, an Instagram type of revival. Um, it was based on the Vanity Fair articles. The Vanity Fair articles, but... Yeah, there was like a, a lot of girls like to pose with their with yeah. the books of Eve. Ba- yeah. You know, she has a name that yeah. kind of fits. It's a good name. It's a good name for yeah. for protect for. Yeah. It's it's all it's got all the trappings. That same kind of attraction to her understanding of the spirit of, of this of the elusive spirit of this city, mm-hmm. which is so daunting, and so uh, so insane. But at the same time, if you can find a way to to master it to some degree, I feel like there are uh, cosmic cosmic dimensions that can be unlocked. Yeah, <laughs> that are that are to because if you can master, I, was, I just had a friend in town and we went out to the beach on Sunday night and I was kind of saying that exact same thing that this place has this potential and like you have these moments that are just like cosmic in the sense of yeah. I mean. Lots of different realms of, yeah. of cosmic sort of, you know, but that it, it's never lost that for me of living here 27 years now. Um, and a lot of that is tied to this place. It's just like tapped me into like things that I never thought were really imaginable as part of this city because this is such a historic neighborhood in some ways that it's you know there's there's always so much like chat about LA around here either with the people who own the place or you know, the the original owner um, who died last year was like part of like the Ed Wood crowd and like you know, no so, shit uh, yeah I hear all about the, those kind of stories which have been like really incredible um, yeah it's just it's it has like a really incredible um, I mean this is the vault of this is the vault of imagination and and knowledge that is kind of you know, this bookstore like it's it's not it's it's got there's a very specific role that mm-hmm. is played well, i want to play up on that more I know. <laughs> that is my goal yeah like no, what we were just talking about as far as like how to how to expand or how to make things better it's like that's the sort of realm i'd like to go in i'm not looking to like join like you know grotesque corporate social media sort of strategies yeah. where i make this place more popular i want to make it Cooler. cooler. I yeah. want to make it like more, like a more seductive place to people who want to like, have that experience. Which is, it's like, yeah. I know it does. It's different. It's the different. It's the, but it's, it's like it's an. That's what you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Right, basically, yeah. other than you know, like that was places what you were, that are your initial special. bitch about Skylight. That's what that's. They right. have to serve that situation. Yeah. And I don't have to serve that situation. No. I'm like I'm at the exact opposite. And like you know, I want the weirdest shit possible in here. And yeah. that's what sells. That's why people come here. Well, that's so finding those people to come here and like make it even more of a cosmic experience. Make is it what more, I'm yeah. We're looking for, and know? that's what would be so inspiring to know. Because like that's what I, one of the the kind of most practical pragmatic questions I had was: Are you are you just selling the same shit that they can get at Skylight, you know, but cheaper here, or 
are is there actually is the app has the appetite survived has the appetite for weirdness and yes. eccentricity yeah survived yes. okay that's yeah. that, and that's but we wouldn't know that if it wasn't for the fact that you have this bookstore or you're stocking yeah because i don't know i mean i don't I, you know you can I, the it. other people book wise that i cor i mean i correspond or i keep in touch or i have a group of book people you mm -hmm. know um and you know there's very few left that are able to operate this way they have all kind of been usurped by some other you know realm of how you have to operate either like my friend who runs the bookstore art book at Hazard and Worth or like you know they've all had to sort of like become or like the, the girl who does the um, despair books over in Echo Park who now is over in a gal I mean they've all had to like really change what they do in order to I think you know to survive and I mean, firstly, we've been lucky enough that we own the building, so we're able to sure, yeah, operate you, the way we want. Yeah, you need to have some... Um, but it's what we do, too. Yeah. It's like what, what's, always, what's, what's always been done here, and I, you know, I can only think that like, you know, going forward, if, that's, if there's any way to, to find... That, I mean, we were, <laughs> we just, I, like, I had a friend in town this, this weekend, and I you know, had to end up bringing him along to like, an estate sale, and he was just like, this is what you do. You go into these people's houses. And like, this guy was like, you know, lived in the same house for like 30 years and was moving to Vermont. And our nickname for him was Buffalo Bill. And mm -hmm. Buffalo Bill is in the Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo oh, wow. Bill. So <laughs> like everyone was like, are you going over to Buffalo Bill's today? <laughs> and it just became this thing that I was embroiled in for like a week where I was like, I made a relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. He kind of took to me and like, you know, the, the worst night being like the night before he left, he called me at 1030. He's like, I have a box of stuff you got to come over and get right now before I leave. And I was just sort of like, OK, well, I've been doing this for a week. I'm, I need to finish this out. Mm -hmm. I need to see where it goes. And it's like now I've got like, you know, 30 boxes of some of the most incredible shit I've ever seen. Really? S like spiritual crazy books at the Yuha that you've just like never like, like you never open seen. it and the, and it's and the magic like the, the, the glitter the evil just glitter like, just yeah. comes out the book and there's some like, really evil shit too yeah there's no. some, and it's like and it's it's just those things continue they they always are happening you know like once a month there's something like I, I get involved in somebody's life who's in transition who like it was like a hoarder or an incredible collector and mm -hmm. it's like it's not like a you know a hoarder in a trailer in the middle of America. It's like a hoarder in L.A. who had like super fucked up or eclectic tastes and is like you know living in a place where they can where can get it. You mm -hmm. know, so you know that's I need to sort of figure out a way to like make all of those things kind of come together in some sort of magician esque kind of experience for people that you know. I mean, I know people get that when they come in here because there's shit that you find here that you're not going to find anywhere else but how to utilize that to take the store to a level that like just informs more people because there's more of us out there you mm -hmm. know that's really the, the what it is you know yeah and I don't necessarily think it's just social media presence I think it's a it's something that you have to sort of almost do word of mouth it is it, I think word of mouth is yeah. by far the more the most and popular for a local place. Proximity to, to, I mean, having UCB, those are mostly young kids. I, I don't really know what goes on there. I don't go to their events, but, mm -hmm. you know, they line up and it's like, you know, a bunch of like nerdy kind of cool kids who are yeah. like, you know, want to come in and buy VHS tapes. Those are the kind of people that like, you know, like 
if there's more happening on a block, like we have all the we we have we still have vacancies, you know, like if there's something that moved in that would sort of also kind of help to bring those people here, you know, then that yeah. would be that that would be sort of what it is. So I'm trying to think of like what's something actually in this store that I can bring in that would also like kind of bring in those kind of people. Yeah. So that isn't like some like hot bagel store or whatever. Right, right, know? right, like, right. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad, um it's too bad Eve Babbitt's isn't still around. She would <laughs> if you just if you did an event with her and her cranky old boom. Oh my god, right now. Yeah. And her and her and her MAGA hat. And her MAGA hat. <laughs> that would be that would literally be so cool. But unfortunately she decided to check out. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. I can't control No. Can't control everyone all the time. Yeah, I'll put together some stuff first to show you that I okay. Practical standpoint, I wanted to ask you, like, what, what's your like day like? When you, what, what do you, what do you, what's your work day like? Like, what are the things you do when you come in in the morning? Like, I mean, you stock. Like, are there certain routines you have in terms of stocking the shelves, but we're reviewing the things, or is it kind of just a nebulous? A nebulous. Nebulous. Yeah, it's always different. Yeah. That's the good thing about. I mean, I like. I come up here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got a view on the. Collect my thoughts. Yeah. Can I take a picture from it? Yeah. Cool. Collect my thoughts. Um, I just built this out. Oh, nice. For myself. Um, like about a year ago, after like years of not having any kind of place to like be by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't know if I have like a routine. Mm -hmm. Sort of whatever I need to do becomes the day. That's the beauty of us having your own small business. It's like you can do whatever the hell you want. I make my own schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I like usually dick around up here. I try to look at a book every day. Yeah. Um, mostly so that I stay connected to the things I love. Um, yeah, sometimes I get here super early. Sometimes I'm like, I, you know, I wake up at 7 and I'll come in here at like 8.30 and I'll, we don't open till noon, so I'll just price stuff and clean and, and like you know putter around and see what the look like looks like what things what we need to do or mm -hmm. you know I'm always sort of thinking about like I'll show you the other back room I'm always sort of thinking about like what I can do with the space aesthetically mm -hmm. that's sort of as I think what kind of consumes me I feel like the most just trying to like figure out how I can like clean up the 40 years of you know like 40 years of uh, 40 years above before me basically yeah I see so you're just like it's all you're all con in a constant kind of mode of reorganization I mean yeah 
I mean, I've sort of come to kind of the end of things in that way. Um, now I'm just trying to like hone and really find like, what I want this place to be. Uh, quick, another specific question: Has anyone ever complained of that, that you're selling something? Like someone like bitched out because other than like the Scientologists bitching about the windows on Scientology? Oh, is that is <laughs> that telling us to take it out the window and burn it? <laughs> <laughs> or that guy? Uh, yeah, other than that, I guess. Other than that, that's a good no, one. But. I've never really had anybody. I mean, I've had people not really. No, no one's been like, why are you kidding? How can you sell this? How can you sell Mind Camp well, for I mean, kids? Yeah. And we always have seen to have copies of this thing. Yeah, so yeah I, was back, I don't know if you've seen this back, too. Let's see. This is sort of the next space I want to kind of like deal with. Lovely. Tons of, Tons of room. No yeah, wonder so you can carry all this, this shit like, to the back. So yeah, this this was like a silkscreen studio and these tables that I built out basically that I was gonna, you know, um, do some kind of uh, print shop back here with yeah. that didn't really happen. Um, yeah, this I kind of want to figure out like what um, I don't know. I want to figure out what I can do with this space. What can you do in this space? Because it's just stock, and a lot of it isn't the greatest stock in the world. It's sort of stuff that just gets. Stuff, there's plenty of great stuff. Yeah. But I feel like this could be an event space, you know, very easily. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of room. You could yeah. have a stage up here. You could have a stage, stage in the back. In the back, and you just get rid of these things, things and, like, you know, maybe just have. I don't know. We've, we've been sort of plotting it recently. If you like McCabe's, have you ever been? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly know. like that. Yeah, that's yeah, what I'm thinking. Like exactly it's a very like good vibe too. I yeah. love. I saw Odetta there before she died. Yeah. Before she this died. this would need a shitload of work. Of course. I have a lot of people in my life who love to do shit like this. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah, you need to insul you need to have the air working and stuff. Yeah, know. I have a couple real handy boyfriends. Oh good good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so I'm like trying to get them. Trying to like come up with the idea. Collaborate yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll wrap up on these three. Obituaries, William Stroyan, Monsieur Mond Vanishes by Simonon and Under Western Eyes, which I'm getting for just as a for whoever. It's one of the best. I'm gonna have to decide which order I put it up in. There's like gotcha. a there's a bit of a bat log, but I'll let you guys okay. know. Yeah, I'm sure. Take care, man. Thank you. Now that we've met the bookseller. Filthier adventure. Only for subscribers, we will meet 
the book buyer. As he sits up late one night, his life flashing before his eyes through the titles and the authors that surround him floor to ceiling in his bedroom. I wasn't, I wish I was. Only in my dreams. This episode of Filthy Armenian Adventures was recorded at Counterpoint Records and Books on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood, California. Opening written and voiced by your host, Alec Mohibian. Supported entirely by patrons on Patreon. Subscribe now at patreon.com slash filthyarmenian to get access to twice as many adventures and join the enlightened society of rug merchants, cigar singers, and oligarchs of the night who keep the lights on at Filthy Armenian Adventureland. Your support will take this show to deeper and wilder dimensions and allow your host to track down the most enchanting movies and shakers of our time before they disappear. Spread the word to your friends and enemies. Stay tuned for ticket info on the first live Filthy Armenian Adventure event in Los Angeles, California on September 23. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. Follow us on social media at Filthy Armenian. And so long. Thank you for shopping. To be continued.